scripture reading this week is Luke 19, verses 28 through 40, and Romans 12, verse 1. Luke 19, 28 through 40. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Would you pray with me? God, may you prepare our hearts to receive the message you want us to hear. Amen. John MacArthur tells a story. A young lady approached me Last week, when I was at a conference speaking, she was very tearful and very distraught. And she said to me essentially what I have heard in different words many times in my ministry. She said, I just can't seem to live the Christian life the way I should. I'm frustrated. I'm without victory, without a sense of accomplishment. I struggle seemingly with the very simplest forms of obedience in my Christian walk. I'm constantly defeated. Can you help me? I said, well, what has been your approach to solving the problem yourself? She said, I've tried everything. She said, I've been, going, I've been going to a church where they speak in tongues, where they have healings, where they have all kinds of spiritual experiences. I've entered into all of them. I've spoken in tongues. I've had certain ecstatic experiences, gifts of prophecy, certain supposed miracles. I've been slain in the spirit. In spite of all of this, I'm not pleased with my life. And she said in a rather telling remark, I've tried to get all I could get out of God. Today we celebrate the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
People wave palm branches, shout Hosanna as Jesus arrives for his expected coronation. Hosanna means a cry of praise. However, we know that the Holy Week will be anything but a coronation in the human sense. When the religious leaders scolded Jesus to silence his followers, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, if these people don't shout out, shout out with praise, the rocks will. Today we're going to examine uh, praise and worship for the church and the believer. So let's start with our corporate worship on a Sunday morning. What does it look like for a church body? We have all kinds of opinions about our worship service. I've attended Yellow Creek for my whole life, and the worship service has virtually been the same for the past 50 years. There have been some things that have changed for sure, but for the most part, we still are doing what we did when I was a little boy. Some of you may maybe have grown up in different traditions or experienced worship in other locations or other countries. The way we wor people worship can vary widely. The Catholics and the Lutherans use a very formal liturgical uh, worship with specific prayers and traditions and kneeling and standing. Apostolics might be dancing in the aisles. There might be all sorts of tongues and specific um, and interpretations happening. I worshiped with the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Macon, Mississippi, which was an African-American, more of an African-American church, and they had a lot of participant responses, a lot of amens, and that's right. They had a Christian greeting time that make our, makes ours look like a Quaker's meeting. I've worshiped in Germany at a Baptist church that took communion every Sunday. So what is the correct way to worship? Uh, the New Testament gives us information about what the early church included in their worship services or in their gatherings. Uh, I have five components uh, that we find in scripture. They didn't have formal church buildings, they didn't have denominations, but they did meet regularly. And these are the things they included and they'll be preceded by a scripture in each one. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. The teaching is one thing that's done. We call it the sermon. We know that Paul preached a sermon that was so long and long into the night that someone fell asleep and fell out a window. Don't worry, I won't preach that long, but you better stay away from the windows or the balcony just in case. So where should the sermon be in the service? We have it last. It's as if the whole service sort of leads up to the sermon and culminates in, in the sermon. That's uh, the culmination of our, our worship service. Uh, James Crable, who was a missionary in West Africa, I heard say one time that church there, the teaching was first, and then the rest of the service was for praise and worship that could go on for hours. So there the service kind of led up to a culmination of praising and worship. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2 says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. For years, historically, we passed the plate to gather our offerings. There wasn't anything else. There was no direct deposit, online giving. But this day, these days, we have many ways of giving. During COVID, we collected it outside the doors and brought it up for prayer. Uh, and as a leadership board, we struggled whether to continue the practice of passing the plate or continuing with the boxes outside the door. And we had differing opinions, as I'm sure many of you do. No matter how we give, though, it seems that it's still important that we give thanks to God for the many blessings and make a visible offering to God during our service. Acts 12, 1 through 5 says, Peter, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church body prays. When we pray together in our service, it's a form of unity that Jesus was talking about in John 17 when he prayed, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So how do you experience the pastoral prayer? And actually, we pray lots of different. We pray for the offering. We pray, I pray just a little bit. We do offer lots of prayers, but how do you experience the pastoral prayer? When I was a little boy, I felt like Bob Detweiler prayed forever. <laughs> As a child, my mind, though, what was it focused on? The time. How long is this taking? So what do you focus on during the prayer? Some pastoral prayers are longer, some are shorter. I have to admit that sometimes my mind starts to wander if they get too long. That's where I wonder whether it would be better for me to maybe be in agreement with the pastor, like the prayers that I saw at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mississippi. There's a lot of will and... All right, that's right, those kind of things in the prayer. So I could see where it could get out of hand, maybe, maybe become distracting. But maybe I could do a little bit more silent version by nodding my head or maybe saying yes under my breath. It'd be more like I'm bringing something to the prayer, not just listening and maybe letting my mind wander to what's for lunch. Acts 20 Verse 7 says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. This is the story I referenced earlier. It seems there are varying opinions about what breaking bread means. Sometimes in the Bible, it means eating with one another, like we do at our communion fellowship meals. Other times, it means communion itself. The Acts 20 reference seems to point to the communion as it was done on a Sunday gathering. Some churches take communion every Sunday. We have a tradition of doing it approximately four times per year. Maybe we should consider increasing the amount of time we take communion. Would it, would it lose its meaning if it happened more often? Ephesians 5:19 says, "Instead, be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Songs, singing, praising, now we're getting to the heart of the matter. This is the part of the worship service that people are most passionate about. Acapella hymns, hymns with a piano, music off the wall, what they used to call it. Do we have instruments, drums? Let's do a little case study. Uh, I have four snippets. I have four songs or snippets of songs that we're going to listen to. And I want you to decide which one is the most worshipful. Okay? And then I'll ask you at the end which ones.
There you have it, one through four. In class, I would ask you to raise your hand, so we're in class this morning. <laughs> which one, if you were, uh, would want to be part of your worship service, which one would be your, the one that you consider the most worshipful? You can raise your hand now. You might even want to look around and see what people say. <laughs> I see a four over there. I see a three. Some threes, fours, twos, ones. Okay. They all had the same words. Solid biblical teaching. Nothing but the blood of Jesus sets us free. Last week's service was probably a stretch for some of us. We worshipped in an all-purpose room or the gym. The order of the service was different. The band that led us in singing was loud. The lights were off. Many people were clapping. I personally enjoyed it. And I preferred the number four version that was played. But how much of that is based on my personality and my preferences? And how much of your choice of the four versions was based on your personality and your preferences? So what are we willing to accept in deference to others in the congregation? The music and visibility of worship is something we should be careful about. On a Sunday morning, some of us don't sing or show emotion. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person isn't, isn't worshiping in his or her heart. Conversely, just because someone is swaying to the music and raising their hands doesn't mean he's worshiping God. It might just be the emotion of good music and the crescendo of the drums. But we shouldn't be scared to show emotion because we might err on the side of worshiping the music. It's hard to judge someone's heart when we all stand together and sing in worship, in a worship service. When I'm alone, uh, I worship much differently than when I do when I'm in the group here. I'm more of an introvert. I'm more reserved. Uh, when I'm by myself, I might have both hands in the air singing loudly. I might be on my knees. Um, so some of it has to do with our personalities, I think. However, we might want to think about what prevents us from showing any emotion. Let's uh, consider uh, a story about David from 2 Samuel 6, 14 to 23. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, was wearing priest's clothing. So Israel brought home the ark of the Lord with much shouting and blowing of trumpets. But as the procession came into the city, Michael, Saul's daughter, watched from a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she was filled with contempt for him. The ark was placed inside the tent that David prepared for it. He sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Then he blessed the people in the name of the Lord in heaven and gave a present to everyone, men and women alike, of a loaf of bread, some wine, and a cake of raisins. When it was all over, everyone had gone home. David returned to bless his family, but Michael came out to meet him and exclaimed in disgust, How glorious the king of Israel looked today! He exposed himself to the girls along the street like a common pervert. David retorted, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and his family, who appointed me as leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I am willing to act like a fool in order to show my joy in the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, but I will be respected by the girls of whom you spoke. 
So when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem, David praised and worshiped so adamantly, he was told to stop making a fool of himself. And he said, I'm willing to look even more foolish than this in order to show my joy in the Lord. How many times have you made a fool of yourself or Northwood or Bethany or Michigan or IU or Notre Dame or at a tractor pole or you name it? When someone should have told you to stop to act like a fool because of your public behavior. You get my point. We've made, our, we've made fools of ourselves for something much less important than King Jesus. Why would we be willing to be fools for Jesus? I've heard some people say, and I've felt at times, that the worship service at Yellow Creek is stagnant. That's a, maybe even dead. That's a strong accusation. Is it because of the music style? I'm not saying here that it is dead, but I have at times felt stagnant. And maybe livelier music might help a bit. But a spirit of worship isn't dependent on the songs. So what brings a spirit of worship to the service? You do. I do. We do. So that brings me to the second part of the message. Romans 12 tells us what our true spirit of worship is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We must offer our bodies as living sacrifice. So what does that mean? First of all, why do we offer ourselves? It says, in view of God's mercy, Paul has just spent the last 11 chapters of, or the first 11 chapters of Romans, building a case about why we should offer ourselves. He goes on to say, therefore, which meant every, because of all before, this is what we should do. Because of all that I've been teaching. And he says, I, be, I beg your reaction to this, is to offer yourselves. So what did, what did God do? We could go through all the first 11 chapters of Romans. A couple of things that were mentioned are God has given us mercy even when we didn't deserve it. When we were enemies, he died for us. And there, of course, are many, many things also that God has shown us mercy for. It's in light of this, Paul urges us to offer our bodies. Some translations say, I beseech you. Beseech you is a Greek word that means beg to you out of love. It's a gentleness. I urge you, beseech you, out of love for you, I beg you to offer yourself, yourselves as a living sacrifice. John MacArthur explains it this way. There are four parts of you that need to be offered to God. Number one, when you believed and accepted Christ as your Savior, you offered your soul to God. The soul must be offered first. The soul or spirit is the essence of who you are. It's the invisible inner part of what makes you, you. Unless this is offered to God, nothing else will matter. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So by offering your soul, you're trusting your eternity to God. Secondly, I must offer or present my body. 
The body or the flesh is where sin resides. It's the place where the daily battles of temptation takes place. It's the part of us prone to be disobedient. disobedient. It's, the, it's, it's prone to pursue pleasure. It's the place that addictions take root. This is the part we probably think about when we read the scripture. In verse 12 of uh, Romans 6, Paul tells us to not let sin take root in our body. So we don't make ourselves obedient to its desires, rather be obedient to God. We could also be specific about offering parts of our bodies to God. My mouth, which James says could do so much damage, but it has so much possibility as well, is offered to you. My eyes that want to lust are offered to you. My hands that could bring help to so many others are offered to you. My ears that could listen to your voice are offered to you my stomach, my feet, and so on. If we're having trouble reining in the flesh in these areas, we need to daily offer these to God. Thirdly, we must offer our mind to God. In the next chapter, or I'm sorry, the next verse of chapter 12, Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our, our minds need to be transformed, or we're going to be caught up in all the philosophies of this world. With the internet, we can hear so many different voices, so many different topics. It can be difficult to keep the convening voices from taking roots in our mind. The world offers us the next big thing, the next fad, the next teaching, and our minds can be so clouded with the world's trappings that we fail to hear God's voice or have our mind renewed. Which leads to the fourth area, which is surrendering our will. Verse 2 said we renew our minds so we can know God's will, not so we can know our own will. This battle against our own will has been going on since the garden. It's something parents have to do with their children. Some of your children maybe were a little stronger willed than some of the others, and it can be a challenge. But if you don't, uh, if you don't help a child uh, learn to surrender their will, uh, you're in for a heap of trouble. And the same is true for us. If we don't surrender our will to God, we'll end up being rebellious and selfish people. This is a daily thing. We have to do this every day if we're going to be victorious against sin. So let's return to Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. MacArthur says this, and I quote, I say to you, real worship is not elaborate prayers. It's not liturgy. It's not ritual. It's not traditions. It's not candles, robes, stained glass. Bach music, four-part acapella singing, I added that. Real worship is not feeling spiritual goosebumps in a church service. Real worship is right here, the intelligent spiritual act of giving to God my body in all my expressions, holy, set apart unto him. That's what God wants. God isn't looking for your talent, folks. God isn't looking for your innate gifts of leadership. 
God is looking for you to give yourself. That is true and proper worship. So in conclusion, how do we connect the two parts of the sermon? The worship service and true worship. So what I'm about to say should be seen as a challenge, not a scolding, not just an observation. But if our, if our worship service is stagnant, or even worse, dead, then maybe we are stagnant. Maybe we're dead. Perhaps we need to be spending more time in true worship to God by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. So each one of us, we need to self-examine whether this is true. So if you come to church on Sunday morning and you feel it's stagnant, maybe the first place we need to look is in, inward and look at ourselves. As a church board, uh, we are going to be looking at any number of things in the future here, and Pastor Wes will soon give us an update on uh, a process of revisioning for our congregation, and the worship service will be part of that. Uh, and it might be time for us to shake things up a little bit. It might be possibly that we've gotten pretty complacent here. Um, we've spent the last 20 years really focused on uh, getting the building paid off and all those sort of things, and now that's, that's done. Uh, it might be time for us to just think about what's next. And that might include parts of worship. It might include any number of things. If you look around at each other, you might look at me and go, boy, I'm the young one. I'm 53, folks. Uh, who's going to be here after me? Who's going to be here after us? Who are the people in our community who need to be brought to the throne of the king and be brought into the kingdom of God. Many of these people probably won't look like the people that you and I have grown up with or maybe sat here in church with. What might that look like? How might that be different? How might that change how we worship, how we do things? What kind of programs we have? What kind of uh, ministries we have? These are all kinds of things for us to continue to think about and we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at that in the coming months. And so, like I said, uh, the worship service is just one part of that that we will be looking at. So what are, what are the practical steps to respond to this teaching? I have three ways we can respond. Every morning, you can pray the Romans 12.1 to God. I make myself a living sacrifice to you. Recently, I've been doing this. And it's a reminder to me that I'm not my own. Um, and that is worship. And in fact, if you think about it, then your whole life is worship. If I continually offer myself to God. A second way uh, you can respond to this is, uh, and maybe a practical way to maybe to make the worship service more meaningful, no matter what music we list is, is to listen to the style that you want to before coming to church. For me, that might be Seventh Day Slumber or Toby Mac, who I listened to this morning. But I find when I do that, it could be, well, it could be the Vienna Boys Choir. It could be whatever you think, whatever is, is most meaningful to you. But I find when I do that, when I come to the service, uh, the music, whatever we sing, 
is much more meaningful, it's much more impactful. I feel like worshiping much more. And I think a third thing that we can do to respond to this as we enter the sanctuary is to think about the first 11 chapters of Romans, which tells us that what God mercies has done for us. So in other words, as we come into the service, we can think of and dwell on what God has done for us. A spirit of gratitude will always lead to worship. So back to the beginning story that I didn't finish. When the young lady said, I've tried to get all I can get out of God. John MacArthur told her, and I said, that's your problem. The key to spiritual victory is not getting all you can get, but giving all that you have. There's a big difference. And there are people literally flocking into churches and spiritual experiences to get more of God when the issue is not what they need to get, but what they need to give. So it's not what I bring, it, it's, it's what I bring, not what I can get. Jesus will be worshipped, because even if we don't, the rocks will cry out. May we be a fellowship who worships God with our whole selves, both here on Sunday morning and the rest of the week as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Amen.